Hello and welcome to Talk Into, a show where we learn the experiences, jobs, and ultimately the lives of other people. My name is Liza, and it's time to talk to someone. This is episode two of Talk Into, and first I just want to thank everyone for all the love and support with the first episode. There were some audio issues, but my friend Zoe, uh, who is actually the guest on the last episode, supports me so much that she actually bought me a mic. So hopefully the audio quality will be a little better this time. And I'm going to try a little bit harder with editing. So there maybe aren't as many noticeable glitches. Maybe you guys didn't even notice the glitches, but I'm sure you did. I certainly did. So hopefully the quality of the podcast only goes up from here. Also, I'm going to try to say like and um a lot less this episode. You never really notice how much you say something till you record yourself. So thank you, Zoe. And thank you to everyone for listening and coming back for episode two. Even if uh, you're one of my coworkers who I'm kind of forcing to listen to this. Thank you, regardless. So this episode shouldn't be quite as deep as the last one. But I mean, you never know. It should be interesting, though. And just a reminder, this show is on Twitter and Instagram at talking to pod. Again, that's talking without the G, talking to pod. So please go give those a follow, share this with your friends, and give me feedback, give me ideas. I've had some people reach out to me and give me ideas for guests that like on the show. So feel free, reach out and give me ideas. All right. With that being said, today we are talking to Matt. So Matt is 25 years old. He's originally from Bridgewater, Massachusetts, but now he currently lives in South Carolina. And Matt actually owns his own successful business making high quality custom metal pens. So please welcome Matt. Hello, Matt. Hi there. So when did you start making pens? I made my first pen uh, August of 2012. That summer, I got my first machine, my CNC lathe. And that was put into the shop with my dad's whole knife making machinery because he, he was set up in the shop in Bridgewater. So you said your dad makes knives. Yes. So what made you make pens? Well, the really is, is the thing was the limitation of the machinery. So basically there's, there's two types of, this is very reductionist, but my father has a milling machine, which basically makes things that are flat on my dad's machine. You would take like a flat piece of something and like clamp it down. And then a tool would come in and, and do work to it there. And then I have a, my lathe basically takes things that are round and it and it holds the round stock and it spins the stock really fast and then you can cut things but you can't make things that are flat because the whole thing is that it, it it holds the stock and then the stock spins really fast huh that's really interesting i never i never really knew the difference between those two machines to be honest i never really even knew what those two machines were <laughs> but um you kind of started all this in high school and you went to bristol plymouth which is the technical high school in Taunton. So what shop were you in and how did that 
help you with what you're doing now? My, uh, my shop was CAD CAM, which is computer-aided design, computer-aided machining. That was the shop I picked halfway through freshman year. You know, we had that whole exploratory thing. Junior year, I was put up for that USA competition, which is like a technical school competition, I guess you could say. It's all across the U.S. and it's actually international now too. But they have like competitions for like plumbing and HVAC and everything. And my teacher just decided kind of, he consulted me a little bit, but my teacher was like, Hey, I want to put you up for skills USA. He's like, the open slot is for lathe. And I was like, okay, well, I'm not going to say no. So I didn't really have a strong indication towards lathe work in high school. It's just that there was a senior at the time that he put up for the mill um, competition. So I said, all right, I'll take lathe. That's fine. In that competition, I took second in the state of Massachusetts for CNC turning. And then my dad was like, hey, let's get you a lathe and see if you can make some knife parts. That's actually the original thing he was thinking. And all his stuff is custom made. So it kind of makes made sense to have like all of the parts be custom made, even the little screws. Cause he has like a lot of little hardware, like screws and pivot pins and stuff that goes into the knives. So he got me that machine, we got it in and I made my first pen in August. So that was before senior year of my high school even started. All of senior year, I worked the co-op program at VP. So I really only had 90 days of academics. And then the other 90 days I was working for my father's business really because I I didn't have like a corporation yet or anything and so I was just making pens and seeing what that did made a bunch of pens I went to a couple of shows knife shows the first one was in November of 2012 and then the big one was actually the same week I graduated in 2013 also the same week I turned 18, the first week of June. That's like the biggest knife show in the world, the Blade Show. There's like 1,200 tables. It's it's huge. It's, it's like crazy. So I graduated, turned 18, had that show all in the same week. I still, for a while, was still thinking I was going to go to college, like I said. But that show, that first Blade Show was really the deciding factor. I, I went into it. Like I had decided before I went to the show... If this doesn't go well, we're going to school. And if it, if it works out well, I didn't really set a bar. I didn't say like, if I sell half the pens, then we're going to do this, but which is kind of good. I ended up selling out. I brought like 200 pens and I sold every single one and it was like, okay, well, I guess I couldn't have done better than that. So time to, uh, time to embrace this. And then I was like, Hey, let's, let's like actually form a business, you know, filed the paperwork, all of that and uh, just hit the ground running. So that's kind of how I started. So with you, even though you said you kind of ended up sort of stumbling into the lathe work, did you ever consider making knives or was it always just gonna be pens? To make a knife and to make money on on the knife at that time would just be impossible because just be my dad making his knives no one would want to buy a knife for me because it was like, well, let's get a knife from RJ instead of Matt. So, um, so yeah, I don't, I kind of stumbled into it. One of his customers actually was like, Hey, you should try make pen. That's what led to me giving it a shot. Because like I said, we were originally going to make knife parts and the pens ended up being pretty successful in the beginning. And then I just kind of 
kept riffing on it and, you know, kept growing from there. So it seems like you were pretty well received in the knife community and like they were really your first customers. Yeah, it was pretty cool. It was, it was, we were well, well received because the first one, the first model I did was what I call the tactical pen, which has like a pointy end. And so a lot of the knife guys were all about that because it can, it's like a weapon, you know, and obviously knives are weapons. So that, uh, um, registered with them a lot. It's kind of, it was kind of like a nice addition to the knife community because these guys all had knives that they really liked and that they carried every day. And then they wanted something to complement the knife. So if they have a knife with like titanium and carbon fiber, if that, you know, they can get a pen that's titanium and carbon fiber, it kind of goes hand in hand. And then I just started going to all the knife shows. I went to a few knife shows every year with my dad. I would just sell my pens alongside the knives. And um, yeah, and then the popularity kept growing. Uh, so it must have been good to kind of have your dad look up to in that aspect and absolutely to kind of have him to help you out a little bit. For sure. Well, and that's the thing is that philosophy wise, like methodology wise of like, this is what you need to do to make stuff. He definitely was able to instill that in me. And, and really it was just in, in that fundamentally was really just getting feedback. Like you do a thing and you say, this is what I wanted to do but this is what happened. And then you just have to look really closely at what happened and you say, well, I think it could be these three things. I'm going to go change one of them and try it again. Cause that's the whole thing. I'll, I'll make one part and then it like cuts off and then I take the good part and I put it in a bin and then I, and I start the machine up and it makes another. And so each time it makes one, I, if I could tweak one variable and see what happens. Sometimes it gets worse. Sometimes I was wrong and this thing I thought would fix it ends up making it a whole lot worse. And so it's all just about continually going through that feedback and making sure you're looking carefully at, at what needs to be tweaked. These materials are difficult to work with. And if you mess up or do something wrong, it can be very dangerous, whether you like cut yourself or like breathe something in you're not supposed to, or like start a fire, which has happened a couple of times um, due to some accidental things. But, you know, just the same thing, you know, something I wanted, obviously my plan was to not have a fire, but something bad did happen and, you know, I still learned from it and still put that in the book, which is don't, don't cause a freaking fire like a dumbass. But, um, <laughs> and it's all the same thing with the knife. He just wants to make a blade and it's, how do you go about it? And you, you do that same feedback loop. So there's a lot of crossover there. So you said some of the materials are difficult to work with. What materials do you generally use to make these pens? So titanium is a popular one. It's actually can, has a lot of cool aesthetic properties that are kind of secondary to a lot of the applications. Um, like in a helicopter or whatever, it might be a part that they make and no one ever sees, but there are some cool things you can do with it with flame or with anodizing and with other finishing properties where you can really focus on how it looks and how it, it finishes, surface finish, stuff like that. Um, Another material kind of in a similar vein is called zirconium. And um, that is, I don't really know chemically or like materially how they're related, but they are vertical on the periodic table elements. So I think they do share some uh, crossover. 
also use copper, like red metals, like copper and bronze. Those are a little less popular, but those are the cheaper options because copper is much easier to work with than titanium. So yeah, those are kind of the big four metals, titanium, zirconium, copper, and bronze. And then from there, there's some other ones, like I use some woods, like desert ironwood. Um, I use carbon fiber. And then past that, there's some exotic materials that are like hand forged. Um, that are pretty cool, like Damascus steel, where they like layer the steel and um, and then a similar concept where they layer like different types of titanium. That stuff gets really expensive. Like the, the titanium that I use, like the, the round bar that I get, it's, it's like aerospace grade. So the guy I get my material from, he might be sending it to another uh, facility, like another shop that is making like medical implants or like parts for a spaceship or something like that. Like it's the same material. It's all about putting them in different contexts and mixing them and matching them in different ways. What is the process like with making a pen? <laughs> well, so the thing is, is there's typically a high amount, large amount of work performed in the beginning that never actually produces anything tangible. There's a lot of planning and coordination and design work. Um, so like I, I have to model everything in my computer. I do 3D models and they're, um, they're very accurate models. And so I can put dimensions on everything to make sure everything fits, make sure my tools can make the cuts, make sure um, everything stacks up how it needs to. And I'll go over those for a long, long time. There's a little bit of the restrictions and the limitations of what tooling I have kind of forces me to come up with designs that are um, within the realm of actually making. You, I can design some incredible stuff that is just literally impossible to make or super, super expensive. And, um, and then no one would want it because it's super, super expensive. So I make the designs and then I make the drawings and then I have to do all the material calculations and the tooling calculations and then the cost analysis. And all of that happens before I even start cutting material. And then what I do is I have to take the drawings and I have to write programs. So my machine is controlled by a computer and I basically tell it, take this tool, move it here, make this cut make this other cut, try, you know, do this thing, that thing. It's all, every line of code that I write executes on my machine in a certain capacity, depending on what I, I'm telling it to do. So I have to translate drawings that I make into computer speak in order for my machine to understand it. And that's actually probably the most um, nerve wracking part because my machine is not intelligent. It will, it will do whatever I tell it to, so long as it's like logically correct. So if I like miss a decimal play point or something like that, like if I say 0.1, but I write 1.0, like it can have drastic implications in terms of like messing something up or destroying a, something expensive or like even worse, like causing a fire or something like that. So once I have all the programs written and I, and I make sure they're good, I will prototype. 
out of brass. And so that's really just to, that's just to check all of my programs. Um, and I run them real slow and I, and I take extensive notes and there's a lot of tweaking. And so I'll make all those changes thoroughly go through each and every program. Cause like, I'll have a program for the, the section. I'll have a different program for the body, different parts for the end. Like those all get made at one at a time, but they all have to fit together. So if I make a section and I go, this is perfect. And then I try to make the body for it and it doesn't fit together, then it's not so perfect anymore. And then once I have everything prototyped out, I make sure that's what it actually is supposed to be. And once I get to that point, I can go to a full production run, which is that's when I'll take the good material and start making parts that will eventually go into pens that are sold. Once I have everything lined up at the end, that's when I can kind of get creative with it. That's when I can start doing different styles and different handworking and, and trying to play around with the looks from there. But it's certainly not like painting where it's like you just put paint and it's like, oh, I want more blue there or more pink there. It's like I have to be the whole time like hitting dimensions and like planning and like it might make it might take me a month to do a whole round of parts. So I will make parts in like the first week of a month that don't ever get anything put into them for like another four weeks or whatever. So it's all about like making sure I'm hitting those dimensions properly because if I mess something up, then it's got to get scrapped. And that's, uh, that's never fun, but it still happens a lot. That's, um, that's typically the process. It, it is, it is variable depending on what pen I'm working on. How long yeah. does it take you now that you've kind of gotten it down? One pen, it depends on, it really, it really depends on what pen you're talking about. Like I make some click pens that are like $95. Those I can typically make in like a less than two hours. Um, really probably only about 20 minutes of machine time and then it's finishing and, you know, I got to make the clips and then a final assembly and stuff like that. So, but I make some, some of my higher end pens, um, like my fountain pens take a lot longer because they're a lot bigger. There's a lot more machining to be done. Um, I've, I, on some of my high end pens, I've spent, you know, 10, 15 hours on a single pen, um, worked on a pen for, you know, with the course of a whole week. So it's a good balance though, because like I would go crazy if I worked on, if you took that to the extreme and I know way back when, like those Renaissance painters, they would work on a painting for like a year and a half or like three years. And it's like, I would probably not enjoy working on the same thing for that long. Yeah. Working on something for that long and having to be so precise about it seems like it could get a little frustrating. It's, it's a lot. It's a lot of preparation and then it's, you have to execute according to the plan. So like I said, it's very much not like a painting. You might have a, a plan for a painting, like I want a bush here or a flower there or whatever, but it's not like you're saying I need 12 petals on this flower or something. And it's, so yeah, it's a little scientific. And so it's, yeah, kind of have to wrangle it in a little bit because it, it can be, it can be prohibitive at times. Cause it's like, ah, I just want to let loose. Like I said, the, the riffing with the different materials is, is what's most intriguing to me in terms of the aesthetic, because you can get very different looks with these cool materials. Yeah, like I feel like with, with like a painting or like with like other art, 
it doesn't have to be like, oh, I want this bush and it needs to go exactly right here. Right, right. Precision, yeah. right? Like you're not saying I need to scientifically mix this shade of green and then yeah. put on 45 petals. And if I add a 46, then I have to throw the canvas away. Honestly, in the beginning, it was pretty difficult to, to, to deal with because I would scrap a lot. And that's the other thing is that it's all, and this is like a lot of artists would like cringe at this, but this is the nature of the material that I use. But basically everything I do is some amount of compromise where I say, this is how I want it to look in my head and making that a reality. It almost never, like literally never, like, and, and I, I would be kind of lying if I said otherwise, um, actually is executed in the manner that I want it. And if it is, then it's like, holy crap, this is, this is the unicorn. Because um, it's not like a song or, or a book or whatever, where you can go back and change a word and you can change a sentence or you can go and you can paint over a part or whatever. It's like, I make the part, I do the work. It's like, this is the pen. It's not like I can erase in titanium. So it's really just a matter of saying what's good enough. And it's, it kind of sucks because to be honest, it's like, I have to temper expectations a lot in terms of what, like the essence of the, like, what am I trying to do with this specific pen? And I have to really kind of like get that through my head. I um, try to focus on some sort of combination of like the bottom up of what tools do I have? What can I make? But also the top down of like, how do I push these a little bit further and get something that might be a new combination of things? So it's pretty tricky in that regard, but it's honestly pretty fun. And, um, you know, when I actually do hit the mark, like I was saying, um, it is it is very satisfying. Do you ever uh, consider either expanding or like doing something different so you could get like the creativity out? In yeah, that's, way? um, yeah, that's a good question. I've, I have been considering a lot of other things to be making. There's a lot of possibilities and that's really more the top down approach that I've tried to get at. Cause it's like, what, what is the goal here? Cause I can make pretty much anything that's round and, um, and it's like, well, that's, that's not enough limitation because I can just, there's too many round things in the world. So it's like, what, what is the goal of what I'm trying to do here? So yeah, I, I have made a few other things. I did some shirt buttons out of titanium. That was cool. I made Zoe some jewelry. I've done some rings. I've done some like wall sculptures too, um, some bigger stuff. I've done like some paperweights, like some engraving on some paperweights. But that's the thing, you know, I still got to pay the bills. Mm -hmm. It's uh, still got to like keep the business going long term. Yeah, I'd like to do some more sculpture. I'd like to take the materials that I'm using now and present them in a way that is kind of new, because like I said, these materials are all scientifically made for like certain applications and functions. And I like the juxtaposition of saying this is like a really scientific thing, but I'm going to take it and just purely work on it to make it look pretty. I had plenty of time to think about this last year with all the shows shut down and everything like that. I, I read like an art history book and 
I really connected with the Art Deco movement, which was, was about 100 years ago in the 1920s. And the thing then was they all these shipping ports and uh, planes just started to be a thing. So everyone kind of was interconnected, like the whole world for the first time. So like artists in America could get these really, really amazing materials. They could get like wood from Brazil or like pearls from Europe or whatever. And, and so they really just wanted to let the material do its thing because they had the access to these materials that were so beautiful that no one had ever seen before. And so clean, simple design, let the materials do their thing. And uh, I'm trying to be on a similar path there where, um, you know, we have these cool titanium sculpture or, you know, titanium and zirconium and stuff like that. And so putting them into a sculpture is taking this material and just kind of letting it be pretty on its own. I don't know how exactly to make a living off of that yet, but um, I think if I just focus on, on the work, just like I did with the pens, then it, it will come eventually, I hope. So I heard that your work has been featured maybe in like a magazine. Uh, can yep, you tell me a I little was, bit about I that? I was on the cover of a magazine. It's, uh, it's actually a gun magazine called Concealment. The name of the company is Recoil. They, they have like a couple different gun magazines. This one is specifically about concealed handguns. My best dealer, which is a company called Monkey Edge, they are a primarily a knife selling company. And then they have like a, this little side thing where it's for accessories, you know, like I said, um, so they have pens and then they have like beads and they have like stuff for watches and other things like that. So it's, it's kind of like its own little ecosystem. Yeah. So that was really cool. I don't really know how they made that happen. I think they just sent them a pen and I guess they decided to put it on the cover and there's a little article on the inside too about it, which is cool. Um, and of course they plugged, you know, monkey edges website and all that. So that was pretty cool. Uh, kind of unexpected. I, I, it wasn't like something I had to like work towards and like plan. It was, I just got an email one day and they were like, Hey, you're going to be on the cover of magazine. And I was like, all right, that's, that's pretty cool. Yeah. So where could anyone listening find your work? Do you have a website, Instagram, anything yep. like that? Um, so my website is matthewmartinmakes.com. That's where I do all of my own sales of, of models that I have. Um, I also have many other dealers that have my pens that are selling them on their own. So I would just Google Matthew Martin pens. Um, a few of them are monkeyedge.com, knifeart.com, knifecenter, uh, Blade HQ, Arizona Custom Knives. So, you know, all those are, are knife uh, companies, but they do have my pens as well. Also, just my Instagram, which is Matthew Martin Makes. That's where I have all of my um, kind of behind the scenes stuff. I show you the process and, and some of the more the details about specific components of things, which people seem to enjoy seeing the curtain drawn back a bit and seeing what what goes on behind the scenes. Those are the main places to, to look at my work. I have a gallery on my website of all my past work too. So uh, that's that's quite extensive at this point. Nice. And I'll uh, put those in the description of the episode too. So people cool. can go get that easy. Perfect. Appreciate it. want to check it out because uh, they are pretty nice pens. I have Appreciate one myself and uh, pretty nice. Thank you. Uh, so just 
you talked a little bit in the beginning about high school and how this kind of started in high school and yeah. with skills USA and your shop and everything. So do you want to just talk a little bit about like your high school experience? Yeah. Shop shop was really cool. You know, I had some really good teachers. I had, we had a, you know, Mr. Palmer, uh, the first two years and then Mr. Rose, the second two years. So basically all, we learned to do all the machining stuff on manual machines. So everything with hand cranks, because you, we really need to understand conceptually what's going on. It's like, you wouldn't want your first car to be like a Ferrari or whatever, like before you even knew how to drive. So you have to learn, learn to crawl before you can walk. I didn't really have a senior year of shop because instead of going to shop, I was making pens in my, in my dad's shop. That was pretty cool. But looking back, I really kind of got taken away with the, the potential for the money because I was making sales. And for a 17 year old, it kind of, kind of just swept me away. And I really didn't care about school academics at all anymore, which was like, eh, you know, I didn't end up going to college. So it wasn't that huge of a deal. Like it didn't like, I already got accepted to a couple schools and that's why I was like not too into the academic stuff, especially some of the smaller classes like Spanish. It was like, whatever, like I'm not, <laughs> I don't really care about this compared to what I could be doing in the shop. So that was a little detrimental in that regard, but, um, you know, past that, it was really cool because it was still school work because the co-op program, I still had to write these like journal entries to like submit to the, the co-op teacher. And I got graded. Um, my dad would like give me grades according to my work and, um, and then the journal entries too. So it wasn't just like I could go do whatever the hell I wanted. Shop was pretty cool. High school was pretty cool. It's where I met Zoe, obviously. And um, yeah, so... That was, that was kind of the origin of it. it it's weird looking back because there's all these things I didn't realize were happening, but you know, it's, you, it's all in due time. You figure it out. So. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I think it's, I think it's like really cool having like you have your academics and then you still get to go and like learn a skill or like get better at a skill that you already know and kind of learn what you potentially want to do for the rest of your life. Yeah, I mean, yeah, conceptually, just the the technical school is so slept on, so underrated. Yeah, it is. I would, I mean, I remember, like, I would have adults, like, like my neighbors, I was like, yeah, I'm thinking about going to BP, and they would just, like, laugh at me, and I was like, you're laughing at a 12-year-old, like, what are you doing? There's some, like, stigma about it, and it's, and it's crazy. There's hundreds of thousands of unfilled positions just in just for CNC operators yeah. and you talk plumbers and welders and electricians and the whole things. And it's like, this is how things are made. You want to have a car that works. You want to have like, you know, a dishwasher that works. Like you're going to need yep. machinists and you're going to need electricians and all that other stuff. And so, yeah, I don't know why. I don't know why. I mean, that's a whole different thing with like the college mm -hmm. education, how, how that is nowadays. It's severely overvalued. I would mm -hmm. say, and a lot of, like, obviously you still need like engineering degrees. Like if you want to go make a spaceship, you definitely need an engineering degree. <laughs> yeah. But um, for the most part, it's, um, it's, it's underutilized, I would say. And mm -hmm. I don't know really why that is, but I'm happy I ended up making the decision. And, you know, my parents were um, supportive of that. I think more kids would benefit from 
because we still learned all the same thing. It's not like our education. Yeah. We still know math and mitochondria, whatever, all that crap. As long as you get in the right shop, you know, obviously if you're in a shop that you hate or whatever, you don't like hands-on work, if you don't like getting smelly or whatever, then that's a whole different story. But like, yeah, you, you, you know, you learn how to use your hands and it's, and it's not even just work. It's like other stuff, you know? It's like putting together a, a cabinet or whatever. It's like, you just yeah. get your hands, you know what tools are. I think it should be pushed more, honestly. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, it's not, and then it's like, you you can still go to college. I don't know yeah. that whole thing. Like we with like, I got accepted into plenty of colleges and I know it's more competitive nowadays, but yeah, it's like, what's wrong with knowing how to use your hands a little bit? on top yeah. on top of the education because like I said it's not like it was it fell short or whatever and even just like with the exploratory program like my shop was community health so like obviously not learning how to like make things and build things or whatever right. but like just freshman year going through exploratory like you go through all the shops like I learned how to change a tire like I learned how right. to like use tools and like do all this other stuff yep. it's just it's good skills to have, in my opinion. Right. Or even just in community health, it's like just basic stuff. Cause like how many people don't even know what like a, a good resting heart rate is or like yeah. what to do when you're bleeding or like some just basic stuff like that, you know, <laughs> what are you going to do? So. Yeah. All right. And uh, just one final question. If you could have any superpower, what would it be and why? Superpower. <laughs> I guess, you know, flying sounds lame, but don't sleep on it because air, airfare is expensive. Laser vision could get out of control. I don't know. I mean, this is the thing. I, I'm like thinking about these and I'm like, hmm, that, that all has problems, you know, like invisibility. That, that is like a whole set of problems to deal with. Maybe like telekinesis, but that seems like a burden, you know? I don't want to know what you're thinking because that's yeah. going to... We actually just watched this movie yesterday where everyone could hear what everyone else was thinking. That was uh, interesting. I don't yeah, know. I'm not sure I'd, I'd want to know. Yeah, it was only the men, though. Only the men's <laughs> thoughts were uh, put out there. I guess I would go flying as long as I had it under control. If my flying <laughs> had its own mind, like if I could just be in a dream and then like start flying while I was asleep. I don't want that anymore. I need to be in, <laughs> yeah, I need to be in control problems. of it, okay? I can't be waking up 80 feet in the air. That's not <laughs> That's not what I'm interested in. So, yeah, I'll go with that. All right. That sounds good. All right. Well, thank you so much for Thank you for having me. I really enjoyed this. I appreciate the opportunity, and I hope your future episodes go well. So thank you. Thank you. Glad to be a part of it. Thank you. And uh, everyone go check them out the uh links to the website and the instagram are going to be in the description of this episode so yeah. make sure you check out his work appreciate it all right peace out all right so that concludes episode two of talking to once again thank you to matt for being on the show and thank you everyone for listening once again check this out on instagram and twitter at talking to pod and make sure you share this with your friends. Give me some feedback and we'll uh, be here. I was going to say next week, but whenever I decide to record a new episode. <laughs>